0: Hey, Tom Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm, welcome to another edition of Million Dollar Agent with prize guest today. And what even makes it even better is he's not from real estate land, but he's the man that helps get people bring their best version to work and life. John uh, ran into this gentleman, Jeremy Coe last week, and he said, listen, Tom, uh, you know, a conversation on MBA is going to be extremely useful and practical to our audience. So, Jeremy, thank you for coming on on this day before Anzac Day.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome, Absolutely,
2: Jeremy. Um, yeah, Tommy, I think I just shared with you, um I bumped into, uh, Jeremy, was it Pugsley or Dog?
1: Pugsley? Yeah, Pugley, no S. Like ugly Pugly. with a P. <laughs>
2: I ran to Jeremy and Pugley down at our local park, Tommy, where you and I often meet for a coffee and a stroll around the park. And uh, we just got chatting. He was looking for recommendations recommendation for a local restaurant, and I told him he should pop up to Cadmus, which I think he did with his fiancée. Yeah, we did. And uh, had a nice meal. Um, But it was just one of those chance meetings and uh, we started talking about what he does and he's, well, Jeremy, why don't you tell us a bit about your background, but my interest is in your future, probably more in your past because it's around leadership coaching and the work environment and and how to excel. But just tell us in 60 seconds or less, what have you been doing up until this moment?
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks, John. Uh, so, background in accounting and finance, and it was a couple of years back when I was leading a team over in Asia, where I had a bit of an insight in terms of where I wanted to spend my time moving forward. So, it was actually uh, had two of my key team members came in one day, and one after the other, they handed me an envelope, and I opened up the envelopes, and you know they both resigned. And so, when I I sat them both down because I was I was shocked, but I was curious. I sat them both down to understand. know what it was that they perceived was the problem what it was that they wanted and how we could move forward and you know we had a great conversation we had a workshop it's long story short um, both those team members reversed their resignations after those conversations after that workshop so that was the light bulb the insight moment for me john where i was like you know what you know why not spend and structure more of my time having these types of conversations that's where the the leadership coaching and, and consulting space has led me so far, and, and that's what I did.
2: And, and I noticed, and i sorry, I've forgotten it, but I noticed that you were the CFO for a company that I'm just trying to think of what it was, but it was a company that I knew of.
1: Yeah, well, I was the financial controller. So this was over for one of their subsidiaries in Hong Kong, uh, but the name is Kelson, so a Danish company.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, so good. Um, well, Johnny, we've got a we've got a we've got a, an intelligent guy that's worked in uh, and I and I can only assume with those sorts of roles, Jeremy, you've always been part of leadership executive teams, and um, that's probably resulted in having to do a lot of you know strategic work and thinking through of you know what stops people having their best performance. Um, sorry, John, uh, 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 to interrupt, but what what got me really excited, John, when you said to me. Where you know this, this Jeremy, we started talking about ego and the way that ego actually is a disabler um, in business. And um, Jeremy, I don't know how exposed you are to real estate, mm. um, but our industry often has this competition on who looks better, who's got mm. more money, who looks mm. like they're more affluent. Ego mm. is a thing, mm. yeah. So maybe we, can, Johnny, maybe we kick off with that about the thoughts of ego. Um, how you see it why it's not good Mm. um, and how to deal with it
1: yeah absolutely that's a great question and and personally i've definitely uh you know for for the longest time in my life ego was a very big thing for me right i had a very thick ego i was very much attached to what other people thought of me and seeking those external things and so now what i like to do with my coaching and training is one of the models that i like to share it keeps it very simple it's the uh peak performance pendulum, where essentially the more you can get rid of ego, then the better your performance becomes, right? So when I think about ego, because it can be a little bit abstract. So if I refer you to this model, you know, think about a pendulum. So imagine you've got a coin that's dangling on a chain or a string, and then it swings. And so, you know, imagine if at the very top point of that pendulum, that's when you're the most objective. That's when you're the most clear. And the further down you go, the bigger the swings go. And so imagine the further down you go, that's the bigger the ego gets. So EGO, I think of that as edging genius out, right? So when we're in our ego, that's when we're we're one-sided, right? We're seeking and we're attached to praise. We want to be right. We want to look good in front of others. And then we're resisting the opposite. So we we, we don't want to lose. We don't want to admit we we can make mistakes. And we just have this image of ourselves that we put out. And then what that does is, as you can imagine, when the, when the good times come, we feel good, but then we're, we're averse to half of our experience. So that stops us from taking certain actions. So if you give me, you know, Tom, John, or Troy, any kind of um, behavior or situation or limitation that is common, like a challenge in the real estate agent space, then I can use this model to, to show you how it can be put into practice for your agents right away to shift into that peak performance gear.
2: Just well, before you do that, Jeremy, uh, yeah, Troy and, and Tom can probably think a good example there. I just want to ask you, how did you unhook yourself from the from the ego? Because mm. it and thank you for being so honest. Mm. Um but you've been through it and it's like you know, mm. like an alcoholic. Sometimes you gotta go to Alcoholics Anonymous and mm. go through a twelve step process. Other mm. times people just wake up and go cold turkey. How did you free yourself from the curse of ego personally?
1: Yeah. So I definitely I dove into learning, right? So it was through, through books, it was through coaches, it was through mentors, both in person and virtually. And so I would say the biggest shift for me was to change the way that I had shaped my identity, like my sense of self-esteem and self-confidence, instead of framing that around the, the accumulation of external things, it was framed around being a learner. So my tip number one to detach from the ego is to is to adopt a learner's mindset. Like rather than having our measure of success, where we are, the things that we have, it's how much have I learned, and then how can I put that into practice to serve other people? And what I love, I've heard a couple of your podcasts is even in the real estate game, you know, you see yourself as teachers. As sharers of this knowledge, and the best in the game are those that can educate both vendors and buyers in the best way as well.
3: So that's the yeah. thing. that's the thing that I notice most, um, John, Tom, and Jeremy is um, you know the fear of failure actually really dilutes the performance and the avoidance of actually taking risks and trying new things, that learn-it-all mindset that we've spoken about really does detract. And so for those that have that fear of failure, they almost lead to stagnation uh, in regards to their performance and stay the way they've always done it because they don't want to put themselves out there and have that risk of being seen to learn a new skill or evolve their business. I
2: was just going to say, Troy, in, in answer maybe exactly right to Jeremy's point before is call reluctance. Which is, I think, a fear of failure. Mm. I don't want to make the call because I'm going to. I could get rejected. I'm, I probably will get rejected. Um, is an area where I think ego kicks in because when people start out in the industry, often, um, often they're very, very. Uh, sorry, my phone. Uh, often, often they're they're so naive, which is a wonderful trait. They just pick up the call, make the call, make the call with same passion. Mm. Once they start building a profile and building some market share and so on and so forth. Then they start worrying about, well, God, if I get rejected or whatever and, you know, mm-hmm. are people are going to hear about that? So they sort of mm-hmm. almost they get stuck. And often I use it, I use the metaphor of it's like if, you know, if you play a bit of tennis and you're warming up and every, go, every shot's beautiful and smooth and a winner, the minute you start playing for points, people kind of, they get nervous and they don't want to lose, they don't want to hit it out, so they start playing worse. Core reluctance. Can you apply the pendulum to fear of failure, core reluctance?
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely, John. So if we think about the pendulum and we go, on the one hand, if we are reluctant to pick up that phone and make a call, that means we're avoiding something. So if we look at, if one side of the pendulum is call it negative, one side of the pendulum is call it positive, well, we're on the negative side. We are avoiding something based off of a prior experience or maybe a whole bunch of different prior experiences where we got rejected, shut down, heard no. And then on the other hand, we could say that, well, if we're avoiding all of that and we swing all the way to the opposite, then we think that in our mind, if everyone just said yes to us, then that would be fantastic, right? If every time I picked up the phone and they said, yes, 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 then it's job done. But the truth is that neither of those are truths. So if we go to the negative side, what I would invite the listeners to do is to actually do this, right? Think about the times where you've received a no, you've received a rejection. And rather than just focusing on the negative or the sting, bring yourself back towards the center by asking yourself, how did this actually benefit me? How did that call actually serve me? Like, what did I learn from that call that has gotten me to where I am today and that I can implement moving forward as well? And then the opposite, it will also be true. Do this exercise of going, all right, so suppose hypothetically, every single person I dialed said yes, 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 irrespective of what came out of my 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 mouth, seems great, but in truth, not really. Like if that was the reality, how would that actually be a drawback? How would that actually be be a bad thing? What kind of learnings and insights would you be missing out on if that was actually true for you? And then in that way, we come back towards the centre.
2: Tommy, I remember years ago, uh, Ivan Bresic gave a really good talk. Going back a few years, probably six or eight, I think, when he spoke last time there. Uh, Anyway, one of the things that one of the many things he said that I really remembered well was he said you know one of his keys to success was he kind of took out the highs and the lows and he tries to live his life in that middle zone so yeah if he lists a 20 million dollar property he doesn't get ecstatic about it he says that's mm-hmm. nice that's a good day and you know mm-hmm. hopefully i'll sell it. that'll be a good win or if he misses a 20 million dollar listing again he doesn't think it's the end of the world and i can't believe it i desperately wanted that so he said he kind of takes out the peaks and troughs of emotion and he just tries to live life in that more of that middle zone, which I guess is what you're saying, Jeremy, that neither um, winning nor losing uh, in, in large numbers is necessarily a, a great outcome.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. So so rather than seeking the swings all the way to the right and avoiding the swings all the way to the left, instead, you know, what we're looking for is to be able to shorten those oscillations of the swing of the pendulum. And instead, you know, when we shorten them, our our goal or direction is based around something internal, right? And that's like, that's our value system. So rather than the externals, we have the internal value system that's guiding our decisions, behaviours and actions. And so when we we can plot
2: that... I think what you're talking about there a bit, I just want to dig a bit, is identity. Mm. And you and I very briefly talked offline about this. Mm. I'm a great believer... Tommy the, the identity you have about yourself is a major inhibitor or, or progressor of success um and we've often seen you know people in our businesses or people we coach they're actually not that they're not that talented and I say that with respect but they're confident and they really believe in themselves and they 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 get listings and they get sales whereas there are other people with oodles of talent but they've got that identity of they don't see it's going to happen to them they don't see themselves as a million dollar agent or a success, and that kind of holds them back. Jeremy, if that's the case or your experience, Mm. how does one shift their identity from wherever Mm. it is to something that serves them better?
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if, if one's identity is tied to external outcomes or like, you know, getting the most wins or the most listings or whatever the case may be, then, you know, there's a whole lot of other factors. There's a whole lot of external factors that may influence that identity. So it's a very kind of fragile place to be. So rather, what we can do is ba- if we can base our identity and self confidence around something that we have control over, something that is sustainable and something that is clear to us, such as having a learner's mindset, like our identity is not based around being right, but it's around learning the fastest, it's around getting to the right outcome, leveraging our resources to find the right outcome in the fastest amount of time. And when we can do that, whilst also moving forward in the direction of our values. So you know I'm very big on identifying you know what are your identity values right so say you're in, you're in real estate, you know what is it about real estate that really drives you? Because I know for, for you guys on the call here it's very much being of service, it's teaching, it's coaching. Maybe for others it's the relationship building. Maybe for others, it's the business part of things. Maybe for others it's the learning and reciproc you know, the reciprocation there. I would I would definitely implore listeners to, you know, go through the process of identifying what are their values that are their guiding system and then frame that identity towards those values whilst learning, whilst growing, whilst not being right, but finding the right answer with the help of others. What are your values? What are, your what are my values? Yeah, yeah. So number one is learning. Number two is teaching. So specific about what? It's about how to elevate our performance and well-being. And then number three is having meaningful relationships. Which is why for me, this space of leadership coaching consulting, and consulting, and even having this conversation now, is the perfect fulfillment of my own identity values.
2: Nice, Tom. Nice.
0: Yeah. Now I've got to listen. You know, I can. When you're talking about identity, I just I just see it so often. I see I see the girl or guy who who's hypothetically I want to be number one. I want to be considered number one in my market or, or number one in Australia, whatever it is, right? And then when it doesn't happen. So when it happens and they've got that trophy, and it's not just the awards, it could be I used to see it at News Corp when I was there. You'd see someone that had a role, a senior, you know, C CFO, whatever it is, and they've got authority and power, and their whole life is based around that role. Even in a social situation, the first thing they'll ask you, well, what do you do for a living? Mm. And then what happens is you'll see a restructure happen, and then you'll catch up with that person, they're no longer working, and you'll realize. This person had nothing else in their life. Their whole identity was linked to to the title. And what you're saying is that when you have things that are linked to external things that you Mm. don't have control of because one day you won't have that title or Mm. one day you won't be number one, right, Mm. but that's where the problem lies and what you're Mm. sort of saying is you've got to do the maybe the deep work Mm. to find out who you are What drives you? Do you Mm. you think identity changes? Do you think like if someone's listening to this podcast, right, and and it's it's a bit hard, Jeremy, sometimes because I think sometimes people that have got ego getting in their way don't Mm. even realize they've Mm. got ego getting in their way. Mm. So sometimes it's not that easy. But Mm. if someone wants to do the inner work, they're Mm. sitting here and they're thinking, you know what? I can relate to that. I'm not being myself. Mm. I keep putting on a facade on mm. the outside, and I can see it's not serving me. Mm. Is there work that they can do? I yeah. mean, you're saying learn, learning and reading and getting yeah, an insight absolutely. into it.
1: I'll I'll give you a bunch of questions now, Tom, so you know conscious your answers may evolve over time, but you know see what the answers are for you right now. Let me just rattle them off. So number 1, you know, if I was to follow you around for a full week, how do you spend your time outside of sleeping and, you know, eating? Number two is what do you love to uh, spend your money on the most? If I was to review your credit card transactions, top three areas where you spend money. Number three is what energizes you the most? So what are those activities that really fire you up rather than drain you? Number four, what do you think about the most? Number five, social social situations. What are those things that no one needs to remind you to, to talk about? Like You're always going to talk about them. Number six is where do you consciously set goals and you start achieving them? Uh number seven is, you know, what do you love to learn about the most? And so those are just a couple of questions. I went rapid fire so your listeners can pause, rewind, write those down, but that'll give you an indication of, you know, what are you already demonstrating is valuable to you rather than what are you projecting out there as, well, this is who I think I should be. This is who I am at my core.
2: And I'll just Troy, I know you've got a question, Troy. Can I just jump in before you ask? Because it's relevant to this. Um just for clarification, I think, Jeremy, sorry, I'm checking in, but I think it's okay. Mm. There's nothing wrong with wanting having a goal to be Australia's number one sales agent mm. as long as your identity isn't hooked upon that and, and the way you see yourself isn't um, dependent upon that because you, you could say my, my values and identity is I love serving people, I love mastering the art of Relationships and 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 moving one family from from mm. one home to the next, uh, and over here on the next um, white whiteboard next to it, you could say, and I have a few goals. One of them is being the best agent in Australia. Mm. So fair to say that you can have lofty goals, but don't just get attached to the outcome. Uh, is that fair?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right, John. It reminds me of you know one of my favourite quotes is, "Someone gets to have the house on the hill, but why do you want it?" Like someone gets to have the lofty goal of having that great house or being the best agent or whatever the case may be. But, you know, what is the underlying reason for you why you want it outside of just the label or the title of saying, hey, I'm the guy with the house in the hill?
0: That's a a great observation because, John and Troy, I've got to say to you, often in my one-on-one Zoom coaching sessions, I'll ask someone, I'll say, Mate, out of everything in life, what's the number one thing in your life right now? And they'll say, oh, I want to be a – they all – I don't know. I want to be a million-dollar agent. I want to be a million-dollar agent, right? And then you go off and say, why, do you, why Why? does it have to be a million? And why doesn't – why can't it be 850 or why can't it be 1.5? Why a million, right? Because I think that they haven't really given it much deep thought as to to, to why, they you know. Um, and then it's interesting what comes out in that conversation. So what you're sort of saying, Jeremy, is um, – be careful! Be careful the ladder you climb up. Just in case you get to the top of the ladder and you realise this is not this is not what I was uh, uh, climbing up for. This is not what I actually signed up for.
1: Yeah, I'm
2: also yeah. Sorry, Jeremy, I'm just I'm agreeing with that. you know, the ladder of success. Make sure it's you know leaning against the right wall. Um, often I've said the similar thing, Jeremy, to try and help people, which you said it far better than I could, but. Uh, I often say, you know, what are your goals and what is the emotion or the feeling that you're trying to get by achieving that goal? So that's the house on the hill metaphor, but you said it beautifully. So if someone says my goal is to, to own a Ferrari, and i often say, well, tell me about how will that make you feel that it's so important. And for some people, the problem is they say, well, it will make me feel important. And I say, well, can't you just feel important without the Ferrari? Uh, is it that important? people as you if you drive up to a restaurant or a place of business that people look out the window and look at you and and is that important for you and uh and i unpack that Troy is he over to you You've been so patient waiting for your
3: Yeah, no, that's all right. We've kind of moved past it. But, you know, an observation that I've always had with those agents that are growing quite quickly um, is sometimes they get to a point where the ego steps in and they actually start to have a little bit of difficulty accepting constructive feedback. And I know that that gets really attached to ego quite quickly because they don't see what they're doing wrong and they know that they've been successful on the path they have. So, um, Jeremy, do you you notice that people get defensive or almost feel threatened in regards to to that side of ego with accepting Mm. feedback sometimes when you are coming from a leadership position? Because I know a lot of our listeners are also principals and they're the ones that Mm. actually have to give that feedback to the agent that's probably come up the ladder really quickly and hit that point but not necessarily thinking that, they've still got an appetite to learn something new
1: yeah yeah 100 troy like if i refer back to that pendulum model now the lower we are in that pendulum the more in ego we are if you will then the more we're going to seek one-sided outcomes like only praise and avoiding criticism or avoiding feedback right so but if we can shift that identity to be like hey you know what The times that I've received criticism or the times that I've received feedback have not just been bad, have not just been emotional stings. But I can consciously think about how they've benefited me, how they've served me. Ideally, in relation to my into my values. Then, in that way, we're no longer playing the game of you know swinging emotionally all the way down the bottom on that ego pendulum, but rather we are shortening that chain. We're shortening those oscillations. And to John's point earlier, you know we're feeling. Like we're more emotionally governed rather than being emotionally reactive.
3: Because it's a fine line, really, when you think about the motivation. I know that was one of the key questions we were going to discuss when John, Tom, and I were putting Mm. the questions together. Um, Because agents do ride that roller coaster of high and low. And John, you mentioned that Ivan spoke about it so well a couple of years ago at ARIC. Um, Jeremy, do you have any tips on how they can reduce those emotional side of the highs and lows and smoothing out those emotions so they can really be successful without the ego attachment?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Troy. So you know, to the extent that we are, we find ourselves very much on, let's say, the positive side of things. So you know, when I work with uh, leaders who, who are in a sales situation, or there is an important conversation coming up, you could say that you know there is a lot of a positive sway to getting the sale or whatever the case may be. and therefore we think that if we get that sale, we're going to feel elated. We're going to feel really positive. Um but then with that may come a little bit of maybe a bit of neediness or that kind of energy, right? when we're putting something on a pedestal. So one of the practical tools here is if we find ourselves on that side of the pendulum is to go, you know what? How would it actually be a drawback to me? if I got this sale or if this conversation went fantastically, like how would that actually be not a positive outcome for me? That's not to say that, you know, you're not still going to do all the preparation, research, whatever the case may be. But what it means is that you come in more centered and more objective when it comes to that sale or that negotiation or that conversation. And the same is true when you're all the way on the opposite side. So let's say there's a conversation or something that you're really avoiding something that hasn't gone well in the past we mentioned this before like if there's resistance to picking up the phone then that's the opposite situation you want to attach benefits and positives to that behavior again to bring you back into the center which is which is where the game is beautifully said
0: Ger- jeremy i'm so excited about this conversation we want to continue it with you um uh, next week in part two because what i want to touch on and uh, both troy and john know the value of confidence to an agent. We we mm. Sometimes there's very average agents that have been in real estate a very short time, but they're so sure of themselves mm. that confidence themselves is the thing that uh, gets them across the line in such a short period of time. So what we'll do is we're going to come back because I want to look at self-confidence, I want to look at motivation, and I want to look at you know integrity, which is a very big thing. Recently, there was an expose on real estate in Australia and the do's and uh, the bad things that they're doing. So um, to all our listeners, that was uh, our part one uh, with Jeremy, a leadership coach that's sharing uh, his views on ego. Jeez, I love that. Uh, edging genius out. Edging genius out. That's a, I'm going to always remember that. And we're going to come back with part two next week. Okay, see you all, listeners.